Amen. Amen. Hey, good to see you this morning. I am, um, my name's JD, if we've never met. There's a couple of you I've never met. Uh, I get to be the pastor of Christ Church Charlestown. I'm honored that you're here today. You could be, oh, I'm sorry, Kayla, my bad. If you're a Christ kid and you want to leave, now is your moment. You guys are sitting so quietly and amazingly, I totally forgot. Thank you to the volunteers who teach kids every Sunday. We, if you're new, I want you to know we want to provide like a, just a welcoming, clean, worshipful environment, for every, a safe environment for everyone, regardless of their age, uh, from the youngest to the most experienced. And so uh, the kids are going to go out and remind me at the end when we pray that we want to bring the kids in. Uh, today we're observing communion and baptism uh, for our church, uh, we would say those are the two ordinances or sacraments, and uh, so we're going to make sure to bring the kids in for that. As we talk about that today, um, I want to tell you that we, most of us um, have grown up in some type of environment, maybe in a church environment, or maybe just, you know, living in a country that for the majority of its history has been at least culturally Christian. So, right, we've mostly heard of communion or the Eucharist or the Lord's Supper. We've mostly heard, probably all of us, of baptism, but I've come to learn, the older I've gotten, that not all of, the, not all of us carry into the room the same understanding of those things, right? Like, we have different uh, expectations or um, experiences with, well, what does this mean? Who does this? All of those things. And so when we were talking about how we were going to do baptism, if you used to, if you've been in Christchurch for a long time, a good while, pre-pandemic certainly, we used to, when we would do baptism, we would just do brunch. And there would just be a patio full of food, and then we would do baptism, and that was it. And, uh, and then the pandemic happened and we ought not eat together with strangers anymore, so we stopped doing that. And, uh, and it used to be, pre-pandemic, that we would receive communion every single Sunday. And I love that. I look, I, I look forward to potentially going back to a place where we do that again one day. But uh, what we've come to understand after five years of being in the neighborhood is not everyone has the same understanding of those things, baptism and communion. And we wanna make sure that we come to scripture and we talk about what the Bible says before we do these things so that we're uh, in a place of understanding what uh, is going. Now, I want to say, first of all, like we're a new church. Our Christ Church Charlestown has been around for, we've been meeting on Sundays for about four years, a little more than four years. And I'm not saying that we are right. The dumbest thing I could say today is that we are right, that I have fully understood Scripture perfectly and all other churches of all, or all other denominations are wrong. I'm not saying that at all. Um, I'm thankful that God is a gracious God and that orthodoxy, right belief, is very generous. But what I am saying today, what I am going to tell you today, is the position of our church on communion or the Lord's Supper and our uh, position on baptism, how we understand these things. And so if you say today, well, I'm not totally down with that. I don't fully understand that or I don't agree with that yet. Listen, I would love to sit and talk with you. Uh, and love to chop it up. Like we can work through this stuff together, but we're going to do it with the Bible. This ought not ever be my opinion. This is not the cult of JD or the cult of Christ Church Charlestown. The Bible is our authority as a church. Now, I'm going to tell you today, we're going to do something else kind of old school. It's like, let's just mix everything else up today. We didn't put the verses in. I was on vacation uh, this week with my family and got in uh, late last night, and so we didn't get them in. So I'm going to give you the page numbers. If you don't want to do your phone Bible, I'm going to give you the page numbers for the paper Bibles in front of you, if you would like to go that route. We're going to start today in John 3, which is on page 834. 
and we're going to look at three different passages today, and I'll kind of guide you through, uh, guide you through them if, if that would be okay with you. Now, in John 3, uh, which is one of the biographies of Jesus, it was written by John, who uh, refers to himself as Jesus' beloved disciple. John's describing a, uh, an encounter, a meeting at night that Jesus has with a guy named Nicodemus, who is a religious leader in, uh, in Jerusalem and in the area of first century Palestine. And so this guy comes to Jesus, and he has a ton of questions. And, um, and he has a ton of questions about what it means to be a follower of God, to be a believer. And Jesus is literally confused, like befuddled, going, dude, how do you, how do you not get this? How are you a religious leader in our country and you don't understand some of this stuff? And so I want to read to us um, today verses 5, and then we're going to read John 3, 16, 17, and 18. So starting in verse 5, Jesus says, uh, it says, Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. You have to be, Jesus says, Larry says, you have to be born again. You have to be reborn of water and spirit. Uh, Going down to verse 16, 17, and 18, let's read those together. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God, contrary to what our culture would have you believe, this is a really important verse. We've heard 16. Maybe we haven't heard 17 as clearly. For God did not send his his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him, the son of God, Jesus, is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the one and only son of God. And so Jesus says to be part of God's family, you have to be born again. You have to be born, he says, of water and of spirit to experience the kingdom of God. Now, when I hear kingdom of God, that sounds a little weird to me. It sounds um, kind of cultish, I'll be honest. And I have to then wrestle through, well, what in the world is the kingdom of God? Uh, I'm not going to give us like a working definition today, but I want to paint a picture for you of what the kingdom of God is. The kingdom of God is wherever Jesus is reigning and ruling. And so for the person who's been born again, we believe that the kingdom of God actually reigns in our hearts. I feel peace with God because he reigns and rules in my heart. There's also the kingdom of God sort of among us as the body of Christ. When we gather together, we're embodying the kingdom of God together. And one day, God is going to take all the sad things and all the broken things and make them untrue and unbroken and put them all back together and will return to what the Hebrew uh, scripture writers called shalom, which is the idea of peace, but it's more than peace. It's like unbroken the way it was meant to be so that God can walk among us. So the kingdom of God is here and the kingdom of God is coming. It is now and it is future, but it's wherever God is ruling and reigning. And Jesus said to Nicodemus, he said, truly, I say to you, unless you're born of water and spirit, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. This idea of being born again is the way that, like how many of you are native New Englanders? A few of you. Yeah, I love that. Um, when I moved here, like where I come from, where I grew up and have done a lot of life and ministry, to say born again was, um, 
Uh, it was just sort of an irrelevant term. Like people would say they were a Christian or they would say they were a Christ follower. And I move here and people say, oh, are you born again? I have friends who are like, you're the first born again Christian I've ever met. And I love that. I love it when New Englanders say that because that's actually a much more biblical idea of what it means to follow Christ. Uh, other places in the country will say, have you been saved? Or are you a Christ follower? Not a church attender, not a cultural Christian in the sense that, oh, I'm not Jewish or, oh, I'm not Muslim or, oh, I'm not Hindu, but I am a follower of Christ. Christ is in my life. I've been born again in Christ, believing in him alone for salvation by his grace, through faith, by his death and his resurrection. Now that requires two things. Jesus, whenever Jesus would call someone to follow him, he would say, repent and believe. Repent, turn, and believe, follow. That's what it means to be born again. It's not a magical prayer. I grew up in a tradition that said you had to pray a prayer to give your life to Christ, and it was great. It was a great tool and a horrible master. And so I grew up thinking, man, maybe I said a preposition wrong. And now I'm going to go to hell forever. When the truth was, I was God's kid because I, the intent of my heart expressed through a prayer was I was going this way, and now I'm going this way and following Christ. I was living for sin and self, and now I'm being born again. Now I'm following Jesus. And so it requires believing, repenting, and believing. Uh, and where we do that, and in just a moment, we're going to see some people who are publicly making that declaration that they've done that. Where that happens, among other things, our sin is forgiven, not through these, but through believing and repenting. Our sin is forgiven. We have peace with God. We're born again. And the Holy Spirit of God comes into us at salvation. It's not like a later on down the road, you pray a second prayer and something else happens and you get the Holy Spirit. At salvation, God awakens our heart. He brings us to life spiritually. We repent. We come into his family. He sends his spirit to live inside of us, and we are his. And it's like this. It's like when my Owen was born, Natalie had to have an emergency C-section, and like both of the labor for both of our kids was long. It was long to me. It was very long to their mom. And I remember after hours and hours, they were like, we're going to have to take this little guy by C-section. And there was a moment where Owen was not in the world. And then there was a moment where Owen was in the world. And at that moment, he was alive and he was breathing and he was mine and Natalie's. And I looked at him and he was a mess because he had a rough delivery, but he was ours. And it all happened so fast. And that's what it's like to be born again. God does it. It's a God-initiated action. But when it comes, like, it happens. And I can't manufacture it. Only the Lord can do that in our hearts. That's what Jesus is telling Nicodemus. This is God action. This is us leaning into him, being born again. Not communion and not baptism saves us. So then here's a question. Then why do we do these things? If these don't save us, why do we do them? Let me read to you. Uh, from the Heidelberg Catechism, a couple of things. This is a document that Christians have used for centuries to, like, to take the Bible and then learn how to make it work in our life and understand how the gospel works in our life. The Heidelberg Catechism says this, it, it is through faith alone that we share in Christ and all his benefits. Well, then where does that faith come from? And the answer is the Holy Spirit produces it in our hearts by the preaching of the Holy Gospel, the preaching of God's Word, 
God produces this in our hearts and confirms it by the use of the holy sacraments. And it goes on a couple pages later and it says, are both the word and the sacraments then intended to focus our faith on the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross as the only ground of our salvation? And the answer is yes. In the gospel, the Holy Spirit teaches us and by the holy sacraments confirms that our entire salvation rests on Christ's one sacrifice for us on the cross. So as a church, we will preach this every week. And in our groups, we will talk about how this looks in our lives. This is it. You're never going to come in here and hear me read the history of New England. You're never going to come in here and hear me primarily lead with Dr. Seuss or Shel Silverstein or anything else. We may use those as illustrations. You're never going to come in here and hear me read to you primarily from a history book about Christianity. This is how God quickens our hearts. But he does this he allows us to do these things to remind us of all he has done for us. And so there's two parts to us remembering and reminding. So where do we see communion and baptism in Scripture? I'm glad you asked. If you still have your Bible open, turn to page. Let me get my notes. We're going to go to Romans 6, or excuse me, 1 Corinthians 11, which is on page 901. If you've got a paper Bible, turn to 901. And I'm going to read to you verses 23 through 30, and we're going to talk about communion and why we do it. Paul says, For I received from the Lord, verse 23, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. He said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself or herself. And then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. And this is a crazy verse. That is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. Literally the wealthy, privileged people in their church were coming early to church and they were feasting on the communion bread and the communion wine and they were getting drunk and excluding the poor. And Paul says, look, that's not what this is about. And that's why some of you have gotten sick. It's not right what you're doing, and God is not going to honor it. In communion, we remember and we pro proclaim Christ's sacrificial substitutionary death for sin on the cross. Communion, and I love this. I used to have a pastor who would say this. Communion is a wordless sermon preaching the cross. If you come and receive communion just a little bit, you are preaching a wordless sermon on the work of Jesus at the cross. Now, as a church, we believe a few things, and this is where I want to make sure you hear what I say um, as, your, as your pastor and just understanding um, the position that we take in light of Scripture. We believe that this is not the literal body and blood of Jesus. There are some denominations and traditions that believe that this becomes the literal body and blood of Christ. We do not believe that. We believe these are something more than just an object lesson, but they are not the literal body and blood of Christ. We also believe that this does not save or maintain your salvation, but it proclaims your salvation. 
If you come and receive communion today, believer, follower of Christ, this is not going to save you if you are not a follower of Christ, if you've not been born again, and it's not going to somehow strengthen your salvation if you are. Like you came in, you go, oh man, I was really having a tough week, but I received communion and God gave me that extra boost. It does not have that type of power. That's not what communion is about. Also, we believe it is for Christ followers and born-again people only, and for those Christ followers who will examine themselves and Christ people called long ago who will choose to walk circumspectly in grace. We don't come to the table lightly. We say, God, is there anything before I get up and come receive the bread, receive the fruit of the vine, is there anything you want to point out that I need to turn from and just reconnect my heart to Jesus? Is there anything I need to turn from? I'm turning to you. I'm turning away from sin and self-rule. And we want to do that. This is for the church. This is for God's people who are walking with him. Not perfect people, but people who are walking in grace circumspectly. It is a church ordinance. Jesus has told us to do it. Some of you, because I know you and I love you and I love being your pastor, might say, J.D., I'm not good enough to come do that. I'm not good enough. You don't know the week I've had. And I want to tell you, you're right. You're not good enough. And I'm not either. And that's the point of this. It reminds us that we need Jesus. It reminds us that Christ is our only hope. And so when we come to the table, we come and we receive it. And we say, Jesus, thank you that you loved me when I was unlovable and you called me family when I was your enemy. And by your body and your blood, I am now part of your family. I am not good enough, but Jesus, you are more than good enough. You are more than good enough. Now flip back one book of the Bible to Romans 6. Let me talk with us about, um, about baptism. This will be on page 886 and 887 if you're doing the paper Bible. We're going to look at verses um, 3 and 4 from Romans 6. Thompson was telling me this, uh, this morning that he was reading Romans 6 this morning in anticipation of being baptized today. I said, amazing, that's what we're sharing. Romans 6, 3 and 4, Paul is writing with church at Rome, and he says, do you not know that all who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So if this communion is a wordless sermon preaching the death of Jesus, this baptism is a wordless sermon proclaiming Christ's victorious resurrection on Easter Sunday, conquering death and grave and giving us hope. Baptism is a wordless sermon preaching the empty tomb. As we say here, you'll see uh, Anthony's got one on, Thompson's got one on under a shirt. We wear a shirt when we get dunked that says all in. We, we go and we say we're all in. It's without words. Baptism is without words how we say I'm all in. Or as I read this week, baptism is how we say, do you take this Jesus to be your Lord and Savior? And we answer back with our actions. I do. I do. Can you get married without a wedding ceremony? Absolutely. Is there something beautiful and profound and like a mile marker to a wedding ceremony where you say, oh, I've committed my life to this person? Yes. And even more powerfully, sometimes when you want to tap out of those vows later on, the people who are at that wedding ceremony say, no, man, I'm in this with you. I'm not going to let you tap out. I love you too much. This is the way that we say, do you take this Jesus to be your Lord and Savior? 
I do. And we're mutually encouraged by that. We believe as a church that this is for born-again Christians. This is for people who've given their lives to Christ. A baptized, not yet believer is just someone who got wet in church. That's how we view this in light of how we understand Scripture. We believe it's a one-time act of obedience. It's not repeated. Instead of saying, oh man, I've had a rough six months. I'm going to be baptized again. We say, no, no, no. I've had a rough six months. I'm going to repent and and tell God I'm sorry and I'm turning back to Him in faith. Now, there are people being baptized. We've done it before. We'll, We'll do it today and we'll do it in the future who are being baptized for a second time. And we want to work through that gently and delicately, and we understand that. Some of you were baptized before you were believers because that was something that your parents did with you. We don't view this as disrespecting your parents. We want to view this as this is completion of what your parents were praying for and committing to. I would never want to disrespect your mom and dad or your grandparents or ask you to do so. And I don't believe God wants to. We believe, though, that this is a completion of that. And this isn't something we have to do over and over. It's a one-time act saying that we are with Christ. We believe it's commanded. Jesus, we believe, commanded it in Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And therefore, it is not necessary for salvation, but baptism is necessary for obedience. Thompson's going to be baptized in just a moment. Anthony's going to be baptized. Would they be Christians without being baptized? Absolutely. Would they be fully obedient without being baptized? I don't believe so. I don't believe so in light of how... I understand scripture. And we believe not everyone believes this way and we act with grace and humility. Look, we have friends from other denominational traditions who don't believe this way. And I'll be honest, like I didn't grow up in a tradition where infants were baptized. But I know that the church has done that for almost as long as it's been the church. And really godly people who are both godlier and smarter than me figured out a way to reconcile that. And so we don't want to disrespect that. We don't want to be ugly about that. This is just not how we as a church view Scripture. We want to act with grace and humility and have a posture of being able to learn both ways. But I would say we believe that this is the most powerful witness we bear, and it is a church ordinance. This is something Jesus has told us to do. It's something Jesus has told us to do. Now, listen, we live in 2022 in a very influential city, and this is really humbling, especially for people who maybe have been walking Christ, with Christ for a while and have never done it. This is a big, bold move. Thompson came in this morning and goes, man, I haven't been nervous all week. I'm getting a little nervous right now. It made me think about two days of my life. It made me think about my wedding day, which I had waited for for so long, and then it got there, and I was so nervous. And it made me think about my baptism which I waited for for a long time. And when it got there, I was so nervous. But it was a nervous excitement. And it was, I'm gonna do this because I love Jesus and I'm in with him. These things, baptism and communion are signs. They're signs. I I love it when I'm coming up the New Jersey Turnpike, coming back to New England, and I see that first sign for Boston. It just feels like I'm closer to home. You know what I'm talking about? We all know where it is. I love it. I'm like, oh, I can almost feel the potholes under my tires, ruining the alignment of my car. Like I'm getting close to home, right? It's, that sign is not Boston, but that sign is pointing to Boston. This is not our salvation. This is pointing to our salvation. This is not our salvation. It's a sign of our salvation 
made possible by Jesus. It points to it. These are signs. These are also seals. They're seals. I got to show you this. This normally sits in the lobby. This is the first, uh, first church of Charlestown seal from when the church incorporated in 1913. It's pretty amazing. Uh, if you'd like, I can uh, put your earlobe in here after church for a small fee and we can both have a really memorable Sunday. Um, it's pretty incredible. The seal, if you get something with this seal on it, what it's saying is for, for 109 years, what it's been saying is this is ours. When, when the people who led this church would seal a document or when they would seal a letter, they were saying, this letter is ours. This document is ours. We're affirming this. Baptism and communion are signs. They're also seals. It's the way that God says, this one's mine. When you come down today and you receive communion, if you choose to do so, that's God declaring, this one is mine. I saved her. I saved him. When, when these get baptized in just a moment, this is their way of saying, God's way of saying, this one's mine. I've, they're mine. I've got them for the rest of their life. And then three, these are grace gifts. These are not saving grace. Again, I want to reemphasize that. These are not saving grace, but they're sustaining grace for the participant and for those watching who are born again. These are going to sustain. There are going to be days where Anthony may be like, I don't know if I believe. And then he's going to go, no, but as a as a, as a strong man in Boston, lived most of my life here. I got up in front of other Bostonians and I went public. And Satan's going to say, you don't believe. And he's going to go, no, I actually do. I have photos of the day I went public with that belief. Thompson may get to a point where he's like, I just don't know if I can do this anymore. And he's going, oh, but I was really nervous on May 15th, 2022. And I got up in front of everybody. And the God who gave me grace to do that is going to be the God who's going to give me grace to keep following. These are grace gifts, and they're grace gifts for us who are watching as well. They're witnesses. They're wordless sermons. They're what the uh, Christians, Christian leaders hundreds of years ago would call their visible words, dramatizations of the gospel. So let me call us to a couple things today, and we'll pray. I want to call you, if you've never given your life to Christ, to give your life to Jesus today, to be born again, or to be sure of it. I want to call you to do that. Um, if you've never given your life to Christ, if you go, I'm not sure if I'm his or not. If you deal with anxiety about that, I want to invite you to do that today. If you're an unbaptized brother or sister in Christ, I want to encourage you to be baptized, to humble yourself and to do it. It was humbling when Nick asked us to sing hallelujah. That is humbling, but that is good. That is good. This is humbling, but it is no less good. If you've never done it, I want to encourage you to be fully obedient and do so. If you're a wandering brother or sister in Christ, you're a Christian, but you've been wandering, I want to encourage you today not to be rebaptized or not to come get communion to make you better. I want to encourage you to repent and come home and stop wandering and come to the table, come back to the family. Number four, if you're a brother or sister in Christ and you're doing well, be encouraged. Remember this and celebrate what God has done in, in their life and let it be an encouragement that he's done it in your life as well. And then to those who are being baptized on behalf of our church, I want to say thank you. Your act of obedience and faith is an encouragement to all of us today. It's a big deal. So let me pray for us and I'm going to walk us through... Um, just a moment of response, if I might, and then we will receive communion and celebrate baptism. God, I thank you for the truth of your word. 
I thank you that unless one is born again, he will not experience the shalom, the peace of God, where the, where the, the authority and the love of Christ rule and reign in our lives and our hearts. But I thank you that the burden for being born again does not fall on us. It falls on your shoulders, which are broad and strong and gracious and loving. So God, if there's anyone in the room today who has never given their life to you, I pray that in the quietness of their seat, in the quietness of their heart, uh, understanding that we don't want to embarrass anybody, but we do want to call people to believe. We want to call people uh, to action in, in response to what you've done. God, I pray that if there's anyone who would say, oh, Jesus, I, I'm, I'm turning from myself. I'm turning from self-rule. I'm turning from my sin and all my sins. And I'm trusting you. Jesus, will you come into my life today? Will you forgive me? Will you make me new? As best I know how today, Jesus, I'm surrendering myself to you and I want to be yours. Thank you, Jesus, that your salvation applies to me today. Maybe you're here today and you need to be baptized and you say, you know what? Didn't plan to do it today. I'm going to do it today. We got you. We're ready for you. But I want you to sift your heart and ask God, God, if you've never done that, God, is today the day I need to do this? Or how soon do I need to do it? We've got the smallest little shirts up to almost the biggest little shirts. And we've got yoga pants and shorts and towels for you if you want to do it today. We're ready for you. We want you to make that declaration if you need to. Maybe you're here today and you're a Christian and you've been born again and you've been dunked and you've received communion, but you need today to repent, to say, you know what? My, my relationship with Christ is not what it has been. It's not what it should be. And I'm thankful that the burden for feeling peace of mind with God doesn't fall on me, but Jesus, today I'm turning and I'm coming back and I just wanna be, I wanna, I wanna sit at the table again. Before you come to the table today, I would invite you to just make, make the relationship right between you and God and know that when you come to the table today that he receives you with grace, your salvation did not hinge on your work and your right relationship with God still do not hinge on your work or my work, God. For those who need hearts of repentance, will you mine out our hearts and bring us to a place today where it's like we are experiencing you for the very first time. And God, I pray for all of us that we would be encouraged today, that we would be encouraged. Uh, and we wanna tell you, we love you. We are your church. I know everyone in here is not a believer. Some are just watching today. Uh, God, but we, we, Christ Church Charlestown, are your church. And with grace and humility, we, Lord, want to celebrate Jesus' death and resurrection. And we wanna tell you thank you that we get to be recipients of it. In Christ's name, amen. Amen.